Hi everybody, this is Jimmy Young Jr. with Prophecy Today, and along with my brother Rick, we examine current events in the light of God's prophetic word. Rick, this week we'll be taking a look at world leaders again as we see the decisions that they are making are really impacting the world for a forward-moving progress towards the rapture of the church. That's right. We always say we look at current events in the light of God's prophetic word. Well, there are so many things taking place right now. Of course, President Biden's visit to the Middle East is, is going to be one of the main topics that we discuss today. But we're going to talk about President Biden and other world leaders and the decisions that are making that are moving us along God's timeline to the next event on his prophetic calendar. You know, Paul, the Apostle Paul, wrote in 1 Timothy 2, verses 1 to 4, I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings, and for all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. God told the Israelites in exile to pray for Babylon. Well, in the world in which we're living, Rick, we're watching all these world leaders. And today we'll be talking with Ken, David Dolan, Winky Madad, because President Biden was in Israel, and then also R.C. Merle will be coming back to the program today talking about the Brazil-China-Russian connection and the digital world currency. Well, let's get started with our program today as Ken Timmerman is standing by. Ken Timmerman joins us. He's our expert in geopolitical affairs. He joins us for the last time from the south of France as he's heading home very soon. Ken, thank you for joining us today. Uh, Rick, it's uh, always a pleasure to be with you. Thanks for having me. Well, of course, the main news story this week is the visit of President Biden to the Middle East. Now, we're going to focus a little bit later on in the program on what took place in Israel with Dave Dolan and Winky Madad. But Ken, I wanted to start from a more geopolitical perspective, and I wanted to talk about President Biden's visit to Saudi Arabia because of things that the president has said early on in the Biden administration and, and just the realities of the Middle East. There's a lot of complexities involved with this visit, are there not? Uh, well, there are a lot of complexities, Rick. And, and the first is whether the Saudis are going to agree to Biden's request uh, that they pump more oil. Uh, remember, President Macron, the French president, told him last week uh, when they met that the Saudis and the Emiratis, the UAE, did not have any excess capacity, which was, seemed to be a surprise to President Biden. So that's the first thing that they're going to discuss. But uh, I, I will say this, uh, Biden uh, and his handlers are going there with a, a very clear uh, get. They're, they're getting the Saudis to agree to allow Israeli overflights of Saudi territory. That's a significant uh, advance from the Abraham Accords, which until now the Biden administration has really not been very keen on. So that, I think, is a very positive step. And, and the Saudis are also trying to clear up a long-standing dispute over two islands at the, in the Straits of Tehran. That's at the very end of the Red Sea. And uh, remember, that's where the Six-Day War started, when Egypt, which had taken the islands from Saudi Arabia, Egypt closed the Straits of Tehran using those two islands. Now the Saudis are hoping, through the Abraham Accords and through their, their increasingly good relationship with the state of Israel and Israeli leaders, 
to regain sovereignty over those islands. And then the question is going to be what's going to who are going to be the peacekeepers, if any, to remain on the island. So there are other things besides just oil. And uh, those islands are very important. The overflights important. And of course, the big, big thing is how is Biden going to respond to Mohammed bin Salman, the crown prince? Well, we do know, Ken, that early on in his administration, President Biden called Mohammed bin Salman a pariah. But now the tables have turned and he's stressing out over whether or not to shake his hand at a diplomatic meeting. Uh, That's right. Shake his hand or fist bump or just acknowledge him with a wave or whatever. Biden is really caught in between his own rhetoric in the past, uh, where he claims that Mohammed bin Salman ordered the assassination, the pretty grisly uh, assassination of a Saudi dissident journalist who was working with Qatar at that point, Saudi Arabia's enemy. Uh, Biden has been pretty clear that he he considers that to be a serious, serious human rights violation and it's something that should, um, you know, cloud relation, the relationship between the United States and Saudi Arabia. Now he's saying, no, 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 we have we have differences, but the relationship continues. So Biden clearly is trying to come back to statesmanship and get away from that insistence on the guilt or the presumed guilt, the alleged guilt of the crown prince. Uh, This may be me just looking at this from a simple perspective, but it looks like the Abraham Accords were one of President Trump's greatest successes, and they are still bearing fruit. And part of me thinks that the reason President Biden uh, went so hard after the Saudis was because he, he didn't want to recognize that success. Is there any truth to that? Well, both Biden and his top officials, Anthony Blinken and the um, uh, National Security Advisor, Jake Sullivan, they have all been poo-pooing the, the Abraham Accord since they, since they came into office uh, in 2021. So they are no friends of this arrangement uh, orchestrated by President Trump and his advisors, really historic. It, it is really an amazing accomplishment, the Abraham Accords. And the Biden people have trying, been, they've been saying uh, from the very get-go that it's nothing, that it's not significant, that you have to focus on the Palestinians. By the way, the Palestinians are the ones who are the most upset by this trip. They were hoping that Biden was going to wave his magic wand and somehow put Palestine uh, that uh, illogical uh, creation uh, of left-wingers from the Arab world to uh, the West Bank of the Potomac, uh, he thought they thought that they were either going to wave that magic wand and bring Palestine into existence. And clearly that's not going to happen. Uh, Biden reaffirmed uh, the strategic relationship between Israel and the United States during his trip there. Uh, he reaffirmed the defense commitment, and he also had some surprisingly strong words with a waffle in them, about Iran. Well, that was my next question, Ken. They have a common enemies. The Saudis, Israel, and the United States are all very wary of a nuclear-powered Iran. And so how is that going to work? I, I noticed in Israel that Biden said the U.S. will not wait forever on an Iran nuclear deal. Yes, and, and Biden also said that the U.S. would use military force as a last resort against Iran. The question then is, uh, will there be a difference of appreciation or analysis between the Israeli intelligence services and the U.S. intelligence services on what amounts to the last resort? And from everything I've been seeing, uh, there's going to be a, a, quite a significant difference. The Israelis are going to say, look, if the Iranians are now enriching past 60 percent and they have X amount of material, 
That means they are a virtual nuclear weapon state. We have to go now. We cannot time this to the last minute, to the last second. And the U.S. intelligence community is going to tell Biden, well, you have to wait until the supreme leader has made some kind of political decision. Uh, so there is going to be a difference of appreciation between Israel and the United States. And most likely, if the Iranians pursue their nuclear weapons uh, program, which I believe they're going to do, I think you're going to see Israel acting alone before the United States has decided to jump on board. Very interesting. And that's something that we're going to keep an eye on for sure and something that we have been talking about for quite a while. Well, Iran, uh, they see that uh, Biden is going to Saudi Arabia. They are going to host President Putin from Russia on his own Middle Eastern visit. Well, there you go, Rick. You have that uh, alliance that we've been talking about for years now. We've been watching it grow slowly, piece by piece, bit by bit. Russia, Iran, China. See, Russia and Iran here really right on the front burner. And the, the importance of this visit right after Biden's visit to Israel is, is really uh, nobody can, can neglect it. You can't understate it. Putin is going there telling the world Iran is my ally. I am going to work with Iran against the United States. The U.S. has declared war on Russia. So Russia and Iran together are going to combat the United States and the Western alliance. I don't think anything could be more crystal clear than Putin's trip to Tehran. It does certainly seem like the sides are forming up. Along those same lines and these kind of geopolitical strategic alliances, uh, we noticed that Turkey announced a deal with Ukraine to unblock the grain and uh, potentially get that back out into the, the ports. I, I'm just wondering, how do all these uh, alliances come together? Where does Turkey stand? And, and, and the U.N. was involved in that as well. Well, uh, Turkey has been uh, sometimes for Ukraine, sometimes not for Ukraine. Remember, Turkey controls the Bosphorus. The Bosphorus, uh, the Straits, uh, are the only way to get out of um, the, the, the Black Sea, where Ukraine is located, where all their grain has been backed up. So they need, Russia and Ukraine both need Turkey for access to the world market. So Turkey is now playing a, a kind of a good cop role here, saying, all right, we will, we're happy to facilitate the transit of Ukrainian wheat and grain to world markets. It's up to Ukraine and Russia to decide how they will get out of the ports. There's some talk that Ukrainian uh, military ships will escort uh, the grain ships uh, through the minefields, and then the Russians will escort them through their minefields. It's all pretty tricky, Rick. And it's a, it's a, it's, you know, there's a lot of military coordination here, a lot of things that can go wrong. I wouldn't be uh, counting that grain at the marketplace for some time. I think there's, there's just too many variables up in the air. A lot of things can go wrong. It could go right. Right. They, they've announced the agreement. But really, there's so many possibilities for this to uh, uh, screw up. Uh, I would wait another couple of weeks to see if that grain reaches the market. Well, Ken, we certainly will keep an eye on this situation. You've done such a great job. It is very confusing. But like you said, the sides are forming up and it is becoming crystal clear. Well, thank you. Safe travels as you leave there, France. And we look forward to talking to you again soon. God bless, Rick. Thanks for having me on. That was Ken Timmerman and uh, Rick. Great update on geopolitical activities that are happening around the world. Really, again, just showing us how each and every day we are getting closer to that event of the rapture of the church that's going to take place. Well, when we come back, David Dolan talking to us about President Biden's trip to Israel right here on Prophecy Today weekend. 
I'm Ruth Kramer with Mission Network News. In Pakistan, a Christian mechanic has been sentenced to death for blasphemy. A court in the city of Lahore handed down the ruling. It started when a local imam visited the motorbike repair shop. Nehemiah with FMI says once repairs were finished, the imam refused to pay. People from the local mosque beat the mechanic, claiming he blasphemed the Prophet Muhammad. It's a tactic commonly used against Pakistani Christians. Ask God to strengthen FMI partners in Lahore. And Wycliffe Associates has launched a campaign to provide clean water for villages in Africa, Asia, and South America. They've built 38 clean water systems so far, with more on the way. Bart Maley says many of the same people who don't have clean water also don't have the Bible translated into their heart language. As people gather at the new water systems, often pastors will read aloud from portions of Scripture. You can help make sure that they have the full Bible. We'll connect you at missionnews.org. Mission Network News, a service of One Way Ministries. I'm Ruth Kramer. Have you always wanted to visit the land of Israel? Imagine what it would be like to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. With Joshua Travel, you can visit Israel past, present, and prophetic. The Bible will come alive as you see places like the shepherd's field where our Lord was born, Caesarea Philippi, Cana of Galilee, Capernaum, the Garden of Gethsemane, and the Garden Tomb. You'll even experience an exciting boat ride on the Sea of Galilee. You'll visit each site with Bible in hand as we take the time to not just visit the sites, but to help you understand their importance to our biblical heritage and to our prophetic future. We will place special emphasis on the eternal city of Jerusalem, the most important city in the world, and the place from where Jesus will rule and reign one day. Call Joshua Travel today at 423-821-3635 to find out more about this trip of a lifetime, or you can visit us online at joshuatravel.com. Welcome back to Prophecy Today Radio, the program that looks at current events in the light of God's prophetic word. Well, this is the time of our program where we look at our Middle East news update, and to do that, we have Dave Dolan. Dave, thank you for joining us today. Glad to be with you, Rick. Well, of course, the big news, and we've been covering it from many angles, and we'll continue to cover it today from many angles on this program, is uh, President Biden's visit to Israel and the Middle East. Uh, Starting off in Israel this week, first thing that he did on day number one was the Jerusalem Declaration. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, it was a declaration jointly signed by Joe Biden and uh, Yair Lapid, the new prime minister of Israel. And by the way, Biden didn't know Lapid at all, basically. And, um, you know, when Joe Biden was vice president, um, Lapid was not on the political radar really very much. So uh, they met and they signed the declaration. It was basically saying that Um, both the U.S. and Israel uh, guaranteed that they would not sit idly by uh, while Iran develops nuclear weapons. It was definitely aimed at Iran. It said that, uh, you know, the joint interests of the two countries against this happening is strong and, uh, you know, reaffirming U.S. support for Israel, basically. And it was interesting that uh, Biden, in a comment uh, during the day, Um, said that Jerusalem is the capital of Israel. Of course it is, but uh, it took a long time for the United States to officially recognize that fact. And uh, of course, it was President Trump that moved the embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. So um, that was the declaration. The Iranians denounced it, of course. 
And um, Hezbollah did in Lebanon and Hamas and the enemies of Israel all denounced it. But it was uh, seen as a, you know, symbolic declaration, uh, Rick. Uh, Basically, the Israelis would have liked to have seen Biden say that force will be used if Iran continues with this. Uh, in their press conference following that signing, that's what Yair Lapid said, is that we need a muscular approach to Iran. We need to, you know, have our forces ready to take them on militarily, while Biden stressed diplomacy and the diplomatic route to prevent Iran from getting a nuclear weapon. It doesn't look like we're moving in that direction. And Biden did say that there is a time limit to Iran accepting a deal. So he said we don't have patience forever. They have to decide one way or the other. So um, that was uh, something to keep an eye on as well. Well, I don't think I'm mischaracterizing it when I say that the visit between Lapid and the Israeli government, including opposition leader Netanyahu and President Biden, was very warm. It was reflective of the friendship that Israel and the United States have. On the other side of the table, if we look at uh, Mahmoud Abbas and the Palestinian Authority, they were not happy with the with this visit and what preceded it or what came of it while there, were they? Not really. No, they wanted uh, Biden to, you know, speak more strongly against Israel, uh, calling for he did call for a two state solution. But uh, just getting off the aircraft, his aircraft, Air Force One at Tel Aviv. He uh, made a few comments and he said that a two state solution is, quote, not feasible in the near term, not feasible in the near term. And he repeated that later, that this is not the time for peace negotiations to proceed because uh, the two sides are not ready for that. That's just an obvious statement, Rick. Uh, We've talked about it many times. The Palestinians are so deeply divided between the anti-peace Hamas movement that doesn't want any sort of treaty with Israel, wants to see Israel destroyed, believes that its ally Iran and Hezbollah and the others that support that pact uh, will succeed eventually in destroying Israel. So they're not interested in any peace process. Mahmoud Abbas, the PA leader, is extremely weak. He won't hold elections. The polls all show he's very unpopular. And on the Israeli side, obviously, we're going to a fifth round of elections in three and a half years. I'm laughing, but it's really a tragedy. And uh, so Yair Lapid is an acting prime minister. There's, you know, no grounds for a peace process now. So Biden was just stating the obvious. But the Palestinians didn't like that. They said we need to keep our focus on a final solution of this dispute. And, uh, you know, we need to keep pushing it. And we need the president of the United States to be uh, verbally behind that effort. And during their meeting or after their meeting in Bethlehem, Abbas and Biden on Friday, um, Abbas made some very negative comments about Israel. And he called it an apartheid state, which is sort of become their mantra to equate it with South Africa, which uh, the UN does and many others do. And, you know, you and I have spoken about the uh, how ridiculous that is. There's no similarities at all to uh, the government of South Africa and Israel and that sort of thing. But uh, he made those statements and has said some other things that Abbas did that were rather negative towards the state. So showed that they weren't very happy. But again, what did they expect? 
Well, the focus after Biden is leaving Israel is is going to be in Saudi Arabia as he meets with the the crown prince there. But I'm just wondering, uh, Mahmoud Abbas was not happy with Saudi Arabia either. I know he did try to get a meeting with with Saudi Arabia and they denied it. So uh, this kind of Arab unity, uh, there's some cracks in that, isn't there? Well, the truth is that the Saudis are moving closer to Israel. And um, although there was supposed to be an announcement uh, when Biden meets with the nine uh, Arab leaders in the region, uh, pro-American leaders in the region, there was supposed to be an announcement of a joint air defense pact against Iran. But two of the countries involved said they're not on board. Uh, Jordan, the prime minister, announced on Thursday they Do not see Iran as an enemy. They don't feel threatened by Iran. That's Israel's problem, not ours, basically, is what he was saying. And uh, we don't want to antagonize them. Well, the next day, the United Arab Emirates, which, of course, is part of the Abraham Accords, so both uh, Jordan and the UAE have uh, formal uh, peace ties with Israel. But he said, we're the same. We don't want to antagonize Tehran. We're trying to send an ambassador back there. We don't see confrontation as the way to go forward. And we don't want to be part of any pact, a formal pact against Iran is what he was essentially saying. So uh, Biden, that was supposed to be the main outcome, they said, of his trip to Saudi Arabia. That looks to be not going to happen. And But at the same time, uh, announcement of uh, air traffic resuming uh, or continuing between uh, Israel and Saudi Arabia, that there will be direct flights to the um, Hajj every year in Mecca from Israel, carrying um, Israeli Palestinian Arabs, Muslims and other Muslims from the area. So, uh, you know, some significance there definitely warming ties there and biden's involved in that but pretty much everybody says the main reason he's in saudi arabia is uh, to get the oil spigot opened further to reduce the price in the united states and uh, the fact frankly rick that joe biden's popularity in all the polls is so low in the u.s makes some sort of a um well what can i say i don't want to be too cruel here but he's not taken all that seriously anywhere in the world well i'd like david for my final question to ask you about the relationship between the united states and israel you lived in israel for 30 years but you are a u.s citizen so you have a unique perspective over the years from your unique viewpoint and i'm certainly glad that for whatever you think of president biden he did have a warm visit with uh, our Israeli friends there. What do you think uh, of the current status of the United States and Israel relationship and the future of their relationship as well? Well, frankly, Rick, it's uh, stronger than it's ever been on a military level. Um, a relative of mine who's in the Air Force was just over in Israel sponsored by the Israeli government and saw all their weapon system. Of course, Joe Biden was shown the Iron Dome system up close and the Iron Beam, the new system, uh, laser beam that can take out rockets. And he was very approving of that. And uh, overall, the relations remain very, very strong. Uh, Both the Republican and Democratic parties, apart from the squad and a few Uh, of the more um, left-wing Democrats are supportive of Israel, remains strong in Congress, in the Senate, and the House. 
So, um, you know, the the fact that he went there and visited Yad Vashem and did all the things that uh, presidents do, and uh, he's not the first to do it, but reaffirms that strong relationship and uh, the fact that the U.S. is maybe weakening in power overall is not uh, does not make the Israelis happy, but the U.S. remains a superpower, and they're certainly glad that uh, they're friends and that that friendship was displayed during this visit. Well, as an American and a Christian, I am very glad that uh, the United States does support Israel, and so uh, this has been a generally good report on that front. Well, David, thank you so much for covering this event for us. Uh, take care of yourself, and we'll look to uh, talk to you again soon. Thank you, Rick. God bless. We're going to take a break right now on Prophecy Today, but when we return, we're going to talk with Winky Madad and Arshi Murrow. Stay tuned right here on Prophecy Today Radio. I'm Ruth Kramer with Mission Network News. President Gotabaya Rajapaksa has fled Sri Lanka in a military jet. Protesters in the capital city, Colombo, stormed his residence and demanded he step down. There was a brief curfew and state of emergency canceled when protesters also stormed the prime minister's office. Out in the villages, where Christian World Outreach serves widows and orphans, Greg Yoder says things remain quiet. Pray CWO staff can represent Christ well as they help their neighbors. Meanwhile, deadly details emerge in Japan. The man accused of killing former Prime Minister Shinzo Abe last week is undergoing extensive mental health tests. He reportedly blamed Abe for endorsing a cult that bankrupted his family. Lawyers say the cult forced families and ex-members to give $37 million between 2017 and 2020. Japanese Christians may be small in number, but they're combating cult teachings with the truth of Jesus. Help Asian Access equip Christ followers at missionnews.org. Mission Network News, a service of One Way Ministries. I'm Ruth Kramer. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung, Jr. You know, after spending so many years in Israel, 35 almost years, I first started living there in 1984, I understand the land. I almost understand it better than I understand the area and where I live because I spent so much time there. But one of the people I love to hear from, Rick, is Winky Madad. So let's go to Winky and find out what they feel about President Biden being in Israel. Winky Madad joins us. He's the former mayor of Shiloh in Israel. He's our expert and political pundit on the ground there in Israel. Winky, as always, thank you for joining us. Thank you again very much for having me on. Well, of course, you know, this is a very exciting time to be in Israel, a visit by the United States president, President Joe Biden. Can you tell us what it's like over there and how this visit is being received in general? Well, uh, we've got almost almost 24 hour coverage here in Israel on the three main mm. uh, television channels. I mean, it's the biggest news going on here. It's it's uh, I must have been going bleary-eyed, going from channel to channel to try to pick up some elements from the uh, landing yesterday, the speeches, uh, and everything in between. And so, so far, it's been, uh, I think, very upbeat. There's really been no problems. Well, the only problem is that Naftali Bennett can't find his way to meetings anymore. Uh, but he was <laughs> former, he's now former prime minister, so he's dropped off the view. But Lapid has turned out very well in his remarks. President Biden has been very positive, even though, of course, there are things that uh, could be better in terms of American policy. 
Mr. Netanyahu has been in the picture. Uh, and so, so far, uh, you know, it's, it's been very good. Well, I want to get to those policy differences in just a second, but we'll start with the general consensus view. Um, this is a convenient visit to Israel for President Biden. Really, his main reason of going to the Middle East is to beg for oil from the Saudis. Is that uh, what you're hearing there? Well, that's one of the elements. We we call it here the economic issues of the United States. <laughs> but look, it's obvious to anybody who has an open mind that Israel here is is the biggest key to American advancement. You know, it used to be the other way around. You know, the, it used to be the United States had to to make some room for Israel on the world stage. And here Israel and I have to say, with Mr. Netanyahu, broke through with the Abraham Accords, maintained a very strong defensive posture regarding uh, Palestinian terrorism, went nose to nose uh, with Obama on Iran, and we're still out ahead. We still have huge, uh, what do they call it now, the Iron Beam, instead of the Iron, in addition to the Iron Dome, we've showed America that we have the huge, sophisticated defensive weaponry against all sorts of things from drones to rockets. And we're allowing the United States basically to go to Saudi Arabia and uh, convince them to do something because the Saudis need Israel in an alliance against Iran. Uh, I think that's the way people should be looking at it. You know, a lot of times, if I can just extend another 30 seconds, a lot of people try to denigrate Israel, that America is giving Israel all this foreign aid. And a lot of people say, why should, even including the senators like uh, Mr. Paul, uh, you know, why should our money go across the seas to Israel? But here we're proving that we're the ones that sort of have turned around and given the leverage United States to ask for oil and a few other little things here. Well, I certainly agree with you there. And it, Israel is coming from a position of strength now. They are an economic powerhouse in the Middle East and a growing economic powerhouse. And this relationship with Saudi Arabia, maybe centered around a common enemy in Iran, is very important to America. It's not only important to America, it's important to the world. And it's taken, I think, Mr. Biden, I think, is beginning to understand that, even though he still has his Obama advisors directing his policy, in my opinion. But we still have Europe dragging around our necks like some sort of dead albatross. And people should open their eyes and ears and hearts and read the news and understand that things because of, as you said, a strong Israel, both militarily, relatively speaking, to our size, economically, scientifically, and all sorts of other areas, including health, etc. But we won't get into that. We could do so much positive good and benefit for the rest of the entire world if people would get over their endearment with something called Palestine and release themselves from the remnants of anti-Semitism and not liking Jews. It's a whole different ballgame. Going back to some of those policy differences I was talking to you about, the former president, Donald Trump, it must be said that he was a very good friend to Israel for several different reasons, moving the embassy, recognizing the Golan Heights. And there's a couple positions of his that Biden is very much on the other side of. And I'd like to get your take on those positions. 
One is the quote-unquote settlement issue or Jewish-Israeli homes in Judea and Samaria. And second is this desire, this uh, willingness to negotiate an Iran deal with what doesn't seem to be a, a very good partner. So can you talk a little bit about those subjects and how that's going to be addressed in this visit by President Biden? Well, look, on the, issue, on the local issue, shall we say, President Biden is still championing a two-state solution. He hasn't let go of that formula, even though it doesn't really mean anything anymore. Foremost, because the Arabs of the former mandate of Palestine basically are still refusing to recognize Israel or come out in an enthusiastic, open way about it, which means they still hope that we're going to disappear. And instead of punishing them, basically they have forced Israel to make some more gestures, uh, allowing uh, more Area C to be developed in terms of const Arab construction, entry or reunification or whatever term they're using of Arabs within the areas of uh, A, B and C and even Israel. And so they're still stuck with the State Department approach that we, Israel, somehow did something wrong and we still owe the Arabs of Palestine something when that's long gone uh, since they refused to uh, fulfill the uh, Oslo Accords uh, as, in a genuine fashion. The second issue in terms of, of, of Iran, we must understand that Iran is intent upon getting a nuclear weapon for Israel first and then for the West. And he is not upfront in terms of undermining uh, actively undermining Iranian capabilities uh, and allowing Israel basically to do certain things, but we could do with an extra shoulder to push things along. You know, I like the way you characterize that, Winky. You have a local issue and a regional issue, but I think that they are similar in the fact that the rest of the world, or let's not say the rest of the world, let's just say the United States and the policy that President Biden and his administration is taking is just refusing to recognize realities, are they not? Yes. <laughs> the simple answer, Rick, is yes. Because uh, take, take the one issue of the consulate, and going back to Trump, etc., who did away with it. You would think that it's obvious that Israel, once it got, and he, he President Biden, in fact, even did mention Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. In one of his speeches, uh, I think on uh, Wednesday, uh, so that even Biden knows the reality. And the reality is you don't have a consulate in the capital city of the country you sit in. And uh, there's no reason for a consulate for the Palestinians, quote unquote. You want one for them? And I think we've touched on this before. There's Ramallah. There's Bethlehem. They're much closer to larger Arab populations who could benefit from uh, all the consular services. You don't need a diplomatic um, move here in, in in Jerusalem, yet they're still mentioning it behind the scenes, and uh, that just shows how they're stuck. Sometimes people just can't get out of the rut. Well, Winky, uh, thankfully it does seem like President Biden does seem to be saying the right things about the friendship uh, the long-term friendship and the importance of the friendship between their respective countries, United States and Israel. 
But the members of the president's party back home are very critical of both the administration's policy towards Israel and very critical towards Israel, calling it an apartheid state, encouraging uh, the attack on countries that do business with Israel. Uh, how does that reconcile there, especially Israel? And I know you have your roots in America. Israel has a large kind of dual citizenship population of uh, of Israelis and Americans. How is the president's party playing there, and how are uh, those vocal aspects of the president's party who are very anti-Israel, uh, how is that uh, coming across in this visit? Well, let me allow me to be generous. These are not members of this party. Uh, there's a hostile takeover on, on the path hmm. uh, of the Democratic Party. These are so-called Democratic Socialists. Uh, there are at least three, if I'm not mistaken, Muslims uh, who have their own interests and legitimate. Uh, it, it's, a, it's a small d, democratic right to do that. But they are basically trying to snatch the traditional democratic party that was very pro-Jewish and very pro-Israel. And un with all the criticism... But very understanding, as you, I think you said before, accepting the security as an essential element, uh, Israel's security is an essential element of American foreign policy, and try to undermine that. I don't think the Democratic Party should allow this to take place. And if I was a, a radical, I would suggest a radical solution that it, within the next year, especially if we see some more progressive losses that are harming the Democratic Party. The Democratic Party should declare these people not part of the Democratic Party. They have to make a decision and cut it out now. I'm not going to call it uh, a specific name, uh, but there's something gnawing away and, and, and getting into the the body politic of the regular Democratic Party that's coming from the far, far left with Marxist overtones, a pro-Islamist type of uh, approach. And if the Democratic Party, and I'll, forgive me, Americans who are listening, my interference in American life, if the Democrats want to survive, they have to make a decision soon about to stop what's been going on these past few years. Very strong words, but I very much agree with you, and I, I do believe that party is certainly being hijacked by that type of thought. Well, this visit is taking place during a time of uncertainty in Israeli politics, as elections have been called for in November. So just your take on what does this visit mean? We have the current acting prime minister, Lapid, and we have the opposition leader, former prime minister, Netanyahu. How is this uh, visit going to play out in Israeli politics? Um, you describe me as a on-top-of-the-scene pundit, <laughs> which means that I also have to look at TikToks and uh, Twitter clips, and it's getting a little bit over overwhelming here to try <laughs> to keep track of everything. But, I mean, like uh, on Wednesday, earlier this week, Netanyahu was in the second row of the Israeli government and him taking a picture together with Biden. Biden was not supposed to talk to him technically. Biden turned around and stepped up to him, 
grabbed his hand and said, Bibi, you know how much I love you. All right. Now, that was a mm. clip that Netanyahu immediately sent out to about a million people. And on Thursday, he had a meeting one on one with Biden that went a little bit over five to seven minutes longer than it should be. So, of course, the announcement was the meeting went on longer than normal. And Netanyahu came out and said very strongly, I told him there must be a credible offensive military uh, plan in place for Iran. So obviously, Bibi's making the most of this for his own campaign. And I'm not going to say Biden played along, but Biden so far has not interfered with that. As I said previously at the beginning, Lapid came across quite credible. I'm not going to take anything away from him. His English is, was, was well-spoken. The speeches had good content. But I think Netanyahu is going to really pull out the stops. I read the news and uh, your prices are going up. And here in Israel, our cost of living is going up, so Netanyahu is going to play on that. And the polls are giving him now more than the 60 to 61 that he needs. So he has to strengthen himself and keep on. And if the other side makes a little mistake, we very well might see Mr. Netanyahu return a third time uh, to the premiership of Israel. Very interesting political times there as well. And we appreciate you keeping on top of all that stuff. Well, uh, final question or final thought from you. If you could just let our listeners know, this certainly does seem to be, at least so far, a very positive, very optimistic view of America's relationship with Israel. Would you uh, concur with that statement and just your thoughts on the importance, I, I love what you said earlier, your thoughts on the importance not only of America to Israel, but of Israel to America. Well, uh, you know that I'm a little, also a little bit of a student of history, uh, in all humbleness. Mm -hmm. And anybody who honestly studies the Founding Fathers knows quite well that they were imbued by biblical stories, especially the exodus of the children of Israel out of Egypt. Mm. Uh, let liberty ring. It's a quote from the Bible. They were so much steeped in biblical imagery and language. And um, uh, I think America has lost the ability uh, to be what I would call a broad-based religious uh, community not specifically in terms of day-to-day -day practices, but in terms of the legacy of the wrapping around of what it is to be an American also has a biblical resonance in it, an echo. And that, of course, was at a time when Jews were dispersed, when Jews were persecuted, when Jews were not in the land of Israel. And yet the founding fathers and later presidents had a very positive view on the restoration or the return of the children of Israel, the Jews, to the land of Israel. If we could recreate that, if mm. we could reestablish that openness, that appreciation of an ancient people and a new people called the Americans, sharing elements of legacy and value, despite different religious practices, then I think that would be a better contribution for all concerned not only for Israel, not only for America, but many countries and nations and peoples around the world. Well, very well said, Winky. Very eloquent. Thank you so much for those thoughts. And I 
wholeheartedly agree with you. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for keeping your eye on what's taking place there in Israel, and we look forward to talking to you again soon. Again, thank you very much for having me on, and goodbye to you and our listeners. Well, you know, uh, Rick, there is a reason why we stay on top of what's happening politically in Israel with Winky Madad. It's very important to get the understanding. And again, we're not trying to be political, but there are some issues, some things that are being said and done. And I thought it was very interesting how he brought up how America was founded by our founding fathers on biblical principles. <laughs> it's, that's interesting for an Israeli to bring that to our attention. And we'll talk more about that in just a moment. But before we get to that, uh, as a follow-up to uh, a report from last week, I'm inviting R.C. Murrell back on the program this week because, R.C., uh, we, welcome to the program, first of all. Thank you, Jimmy. Good to be back with you. Yes, sir. And, uh, you know, first of all, folks, I, I know that, R.C., we have a lot of what we would call family members that have been listening to this program for years. Uh, people feel like they know you even though they only hear you on the radio. But I do want to bring this up before our listening audience uh, to pray for your granddaughter. And um, uh, yes, uh, what's her name, R.C.? Her name is uh, Emma. Um, she's been in the hospital for a few days, um, and she's having lots of lots of issues, Jimmy. That we've been just been praying on her. Matter of fact, your mom and dad prayed for her uh, mm. before she was born because we knew we we knew we were going to have some issues uh, yes, when sir. she came. Mm. So. Well, we just prayed. You yeah, and I, I prayed be that. before we went on the air. We prayed, and uh, we'll keep little Emma in our prayers. And, Thank folks, you. Uh, if you just add that to your prayer list, we have a God who is the God of miracles who makes things happen, and it's all for his glory and honor. And we just pray for understanding for Emma's parents and her grandparents and everyone involved. So, well, let's get to these things that we look at, and hopefully with every uh, day that uh, we know we're getting closer and closer to the rapture. But uh, last week you did an article and uh, on our program so well people uh, just went to your website, took a look at it. That website is prophecytracker.org. The article that you did on the coming central bank digital currency that will replace the paper dollar. Now, you sent me an article this week that we all need to really pay attention to. According to the headline, Russia and China want to replace the dollar with BRICS currencies. So what are BRICS currencies and how will they affect the U.S. dollar? Yeah, Jimmy, BRICS is an acronym for Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa. The five countries are banding together as a financial bloc to set up a BRICS reserve currency to trade with each other that would bypass the U.S. dollar and then threaten the dollar's lone world reserve currency status. Now, keep in mind that five BRICS emerging market countries have 3.2 billion people, mm. or 40% of the world's population, and 22% of the global economy, and growing fast, making it a formidable group. So on June 6th through the 28th, the BRICS group met for a series of meetings to discuss the new reserve currency intended to dethrone the dollar, as the only reserve currency. Jimmy, China is, is the only one of the five BRICS countries whose currency is recognized by the International Monetary Fund as a reserve currency, and that strengthens China's hands. In his opening remarks to the conference, Xi Jinping said this, we should expand BRICS cooperation on cross-border payment and credit rating to facilitate trade, investment, and financing among our countries. 
She went on to reaffirm the Chinese Communist Party's dream of a GDI, or Global Development Initiative, that so far has attracted 50 nations to use a Chinese-led, and this is important, non-U.S. dollar payment system, which would facilitate the trade pact. R.C., that sounds like a serious threat to the dollar. And what does the U.S. Federal Reserve have to say about this threat? Jimmy, I'm not sure the Fed can do a thing to stop it. <laughs> and said so, and then and they said so. On our website, prophecytracker.org, I posted three short videos to tell the story. The first is from three years ago when Fed Chairman Jay Powell said, and I quote, I don't see the U.S. dollar under threat as a reserve currency. In the second video from one year ago, Powell said, the dollar is the world's reserve currency. Nothing else is close. And the third video from four months ago, Powell stunned the financial world when he said it is possible to have more than one reserve currency. You know, my initial response to that statement by the most powerful central banker in the world was a quote from Haggai 2.6. For thus says the Lord of hosts, once more, I will shake heaven and earth and dry land. Because, Jimmy, nothing that big has happened in the financial world since 1944 when the dollar was made world reserve currency. Wow. So where do we stand now, R.C.? Can we expect immediate movement on the Chinese yuan as a second world reserve currency? You know, the only thing holding it back is that some of the smaller BRICS countries are leery of the growing power of the Chinese, to which Vladimir Putin and, and, and some Russian bankers are suggesting to set up a BRICS basket of currencies so that would represent each nation in the group. Wow. You know, if I didn't know any better, R.C., I think all these folks are working together to make this happen. What, in your opinion, and I, I know I sent you an article that uh, uh, Macron, the president of France, uh, who at this moment during the last G7, he said something about reviving the old Roman Empire. R.C., what, in your no. opinion, would be the outcome in the financial markets of a BRICS world reserve currency? Jimmy, in a word, chaos. Mm. A second reserve currency will force nations to sell some of their dollars and buy the new BRICS currency in order to trade with the BRICS nations. Now, that would diminish the stature and wealth of the United States, drive up interest rates, and pave the way for, a new, for new global economic leadership. And there's more. On June 28, 2022, Iran applied to join the BRICS group of emerging nations. If approved... And I can't see why I wouldn't be. Right. That would give the BRICS bloc three major oil producers, Brazil, Russia, and possibly Iran, and a smaller producer in South Africa. The Bible tells us with the global economic chaos is prophesied in Revelation 6, 5, and 6 in the last days. Europe will look for a charismatic leader, a prince, to ride in on a white horse, eerily similar to the 1933 rise of Adolf Hitler from the hyperinflation of the Weimar Republic. Jimmy, Daniel 9.26 teaches us the prince will be the final head of the Roman Empire. Mm. And Revelation 6, 1 and 2 teaches us he comes carrying a bow with no arrows, meaning the world, will, the world government he establishes is accomplished without firing a shot. Wow. Folks, that's why we have R.C. Morrow on, and uh, he's got a lot of valuable information at his website, prophecytracker.org. 
RC, thank you for wading through this and doing the research on really this because, you know, for most of us, we're unaware of this. We're trying to just survive in the world in which we are right now, whether it be in the United States or Europe, uh, in the Mideast, the Far East Asia, uh, wherever you're listening to this program. But uh, we're just trying to survive, and you give us information that we need to be aware of. Clearly, world leaders are making decisions that are leading us to the moment in the future when the revived Roman Empire, a one-world leader, will come to power and uh, the establishment and the beginning of the seven-year tribulation. But before that, R.C., we know that the rapture takes place, correct? That's absolutely right, Jimmy. The best news a Christian could hear. Amen. Well, if we, we go first. Yeah, that's right. Well, and, that's a, and it also shows us the urgency of the hour in order to tell others about, and that's why we use Bible prophecy. R.C., thank you so much for joining with us today. We'll keep little Emma in our prayers. Folks, continue to pray for Emma. Uh, the, the Lord knows who Emma is, and he's watching over her, and uh, it does us. We get a benefit by praying for Emma, not just her parents, not just her grandparents, not little Emma, but we get a benefit for praying for her. So thank you, RC, for all your hard work, and uh, we'll see you again in the future. Jimmy, thank you so much for, for bringing Emma into this. It's been, uh, it's been a, uh, our family's been in prayer for, for since she's been born. She's just a year and a half old, and uh, we're just going to pray her through it. And I so much appreciate you bringing this up. Yes, sir. Well, we're going to have to take a break. And when we come back, the Legacy Series with Dr. Jimmy DeYoung, this is our most popular series. You know, after Dad passed, uh, one of the things that we wanted to do was to put his messages in the program. He was always doing the examining the current events, and he was interviewing our broadcast partners. And we've had such a good response to this series. We're looking forward to it. We'll continue with our Alpha and Omega series. As a matter of fact, we'll be wrapping up about Babylon right here on Prophecy Today Weekend. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung Jr. Along with my brother Rick, we have been examining current events in the light of God's prophetic word. You can't help but notice, Rick, uh, the last hour as we have been talking to our broadcast partners uh, as they are talking about world leaders <laughs> making those decisions that are affecting us and moving us closer to the rapture of the church. That's right, Jimmy. And we touched on these topics in two videos that we've done recently, Presidents, Politics, and Prophecy. And we answer the question, is the USA and Bible prophecy? These videos can be found at our website, prophecytoday.com. And while you're there, if you enjoy this program and you would like to support this program, uh, we we covet your prayers. We also covet your financial support, and we greatly appreciate it. Yes, I love those DVDs. We went on site, on location, Washington, D.C. Well, we started in Plymouth. Uh, we were in Washington, D.C., New York City. We answered the question, is Babylon talked about in Revelation 18? Some prophecy teachers mention that as New York City, and uh, we answer that question in the DVD. Well, uh, we're going to get into our legacy series today with Dr. Jimmy DeYoung, and today we'll study the scriptures that reveal to us the destruction of the city of Babylon. 4,500 years ago, Babylon became the world headquarters for Noah's great-grandson Nimrod. Babylon was the beginning of Nimrod's kingdom. It was a prototype for the World Economic Center, a place where the Antichrist will rule in the world in the last days. I must remind you that this ancient city of Babylon has never been destroyed and will come back to power. The study of a history of Babylon in our previous programs have prepared us 
for this particular study today and the fulfillment of Bible prophecy. This week we'll conclude our study of Babylon, the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end of this great city, and this will help you to understand why the focus of the world has been on that Middle East country of Iraq, and we'll look at Revelation 18. So please take your Bible, let's go to Revelation chapter 18 and Dr. Jimmy DeYoung. Go to Revelation chapter 18. The next event in God's calendar of activities is the rapture of the church. Then there's going to be a seven-year period of time. The first three and a half years of the tribulation period will be chapter 17. That false church with Nimrod's radical protege involved. That's the Antichrist. And he rules that false church. Notice what happens at the false church at the end of three and a half years. Have you got chapter 17? Look at chapter 17 and verse 16. And the ten horns which thou sawest upon the beast, the beast would be, of course, the Antichrist, the ten horns would be the European, excuse me, the revived Roman Empire. These shall hate the whore, the whore will be the false church, and shall make her desolate and naked, and shall eat her flesh and burn her with fire. They're going to destroy the false church. Verse 17, how does this come about? For God hath put in their hearts to fulfill his will. God is going to use human government. He's going to put it in their hearts to fulfill his will. Look what it says. And to agree and give their kingdom unto the beast, the Antichrist, until the words of God shall be fulfilled. He's going to give it over to the Antichrist. It's going to move its headquarters from Rome, Italy. That place is devastated. Burned to the ground. Look at chapter 18, verse 1. And after these things, after what? After those first three and a half years, after the false church is destroyed. After these things, I saw another angel come down from heaven, having a great power. And the earth was lighted with his glory. And he cried mightily with a strong voice, saying, Babylon, the greatest fallen, is fallen. Babylon, in chapter 17, is a false religion. Mystery Babylon. Chapter 18, it's a city. Three times, excuse me, six times the word city is used in chapter 18. Three times the word Babylon. Nine times it's talking about the city. The word great is used eight times. The great city of Babylon. It's going to be destroyed. It's going to be why? The national, international headquarters for a one world economic, political, governmental system. Economic? Oh yeah. Read through chapter 18. The merchants of the world wax rich in partnership with the Antichrist. They have a system that will be put in place. A system? You mean something like you have to have an identification mark to buy or sell? Which is chapter 13 of the book of Revelation, verses 16 and 17. Oh, it talks about, and everybody says 666 on the back of the forehead or the back of the hand, front of the forehead. It doesn't say 666. It just says a mark, the mark of the beast. Will it be 666? I don't know. Will it be a computer chip? I don't know. Will it be a tattoo? I don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. It says it's an identification mark on the forehead, the back of the head. And you have to have it to buy or sell in this last three and a half years. Now let me see. How can we put that together? Oh, I got an idea. How about a worldwide economic crisis? When the leaders of the world come together and say, we need a global structure to bring us out of this economic chaos and to put us on secure base that's where we are the economic center of the world in Iraq at Babylon well then what happens it's wiped out 
verse 10. Look at chapter 18, verse 10. Chapter 18, verse 10. Standing afar off for the fear of her torment, saying, Alas, alas, that great city Babylon, that mighty city, for in one hour is thy judgment come. Look at verse 17. For in one hour so great riches has come to naught. Look at the last part of verse 19. For in one hour is she made desolate. How does it happen? Go back to chapter 16. Chapter 16 is the prophecy of the last seven judgments. During the tribulation period, there will be three sets of seven judgments. There will be seven sealed judgments, seven trumpet judgments, seven vile judgments. That's 21 judgments. Here's number 21, chapter 16, verse 17, number 21. And the seventh angel poured out his vial unto the air, and there came a great voice out of the temple of heaven from the throne, saying, It is done! And there were voices and thunders and lightnings, and there was a great earthquake, such as would not since men were upon the face of the earth so mighty and so great an earthquake. By the way, that's going to be a part of how it's destroyed. The greatest earthquake to ever hit the earth will happen. Verse 19, and the great city was divided into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell, and great Babylon came into remembrance before God to give unto her the cup of the, of the vine of the fierceness of his wrath, because they messed with my temple, destroyed my temple. I'm going to kill them, wipe them off the face of the earth. Verses 20 and 21 says, we'll use hailstones the size of a talent. That's about 75 pounds. Can you imagine a hailstorm of 75-pound hailstones? And they wipe out Babylon. Babylon is to be destroyed. It will become a mighty international headquarters, headed up by Antichrist, be destroyed. You ever wonder why the United States military went into Iraq in 2003? You may not understand this. Judy and I have been journalists for 19 years in Jerusalem. Let me tell you what was going on in Israel in 2003. We heard the word from Iraq. Israeli intelligence backed it up that Saddam Hussein had put together a 7 million man army. He called it the Jerusalem army. 7 million people. Every one of them had weapons training. 2,000 had volunteered to be suicide bombers. Their stated, Saddam Hussein stated his purpose was to come to Jerusalem to liberate Jerusalem and give it to the Palestinian people. That's what they were going to do. Israeli intelligence, believe it, the Israeli Defense Force went on high alert. Listen, Judy and I were there for those 39 Scud attacks in 1991. We knew Saddam would do what he said he was going to do. We knew he was going to come in with the Jerusalem army. Israel went on high alert. Let me tell you what I think happened. Now, I was not there, so don't hold me to this, but I believe this is what I think happened. I'm just imagining, but I think this happened. In heaven, God is looking down. He sees Saddam with a seven million man army. He says, wow, what is Saddam doing? No place in my Bible do I write and prophesy Iraq will attack Jerusalem. Not a place. Iraq will never attack Jerusalem in the Bible. It's not there. I'm just imagining I wasn't there. Jesus, come here. I want to talk to you. You see what's going on down there, son? I do, Father. You're going to have to do something about it. You're right, Jesus. I'm just imagining. You're right, Jesus. I think Jesus probably said, Father, what are you going to do? He looked down for a moment. And he said, I think I'll get me a cowboy. <laughs> Go find that little weasel in a hole someplace. Shut him down. Now, I'm just imagining. I wasn't there, so I don't know for sure. <laughs> Folks, 
folks, listen. Did you hear me read chapter 17 of Revelation, verse 17? What did it say? God put in the hearts of evil men to accomplish his will. I'm not calling George W. evil. I believe he's a believer. I believe he's a Christian. But let me tell you this. I believe God moved on him and used him to send us in there to shut down Saddam Hussein. Why? Because Iraq has to become that superpower. Saddam was stopping that from heaven. God intercede. Shut him down. And Iraq is being rebuilt. Netanyahu, prime minister of Israel, a PhD from MIT, says that Iraq is going to become the Silicon Valley of the world because they are putting in state-of-the-art, cutting-edge telecommunications. Dubai is going to look like a backwater city. They are going to rebuild this city. Do you know petroleum engineers tell us that all the oil in Saudi Arabia and Iran will disappear? It will be gone. And the third greatest source will be then be the first greatest source, and that source will be Iraq. Under the earth in Iraq is the greatest oil deposit in the history of the world. They've only used 2% of it, and they'll become the richest nation, the wired nation, the political center, and God's prophecy will be fulfilled. He destroys Babylon. You know what the next thing Jesus does? Steps back on the Mount of Olives. That's the next thing. It has never been like this in the history of the world. Babylon, the superpower to be destroyed and Christ steps back on the earth in Jerusalem. Before that, the one world church from Rome which is destroyed. And before that, and we're out of here to see Jesus. Two questions and I close. For so close to all of this happening, like never in the history of the world, how close could be? How then ought we to live? Father, thank you for your awesome word, amazing, articulate, accurate, absolute, authoritative. And it tells us you graciously have given us the scenario for the end times. We can simply read it and recognize exactly what it says. And when we do, like Daniel of old, when he read Jeremiah, that Jerusalem would be desolate for a 70-year period of time, he was able to determine where he was in God's time. And in chapter 9 of Daniel, verses 3 to 23, he falls on his face confesses his sin, gets his heart right with God. The prophet John the Apostle, he wrote all about this as well, chapters 17 and 18 of Revelation. And at the end of his ministry, the end of his ministry, he also said something very exciting. Do you remember what he prayed? Even so come, Lord Jesus. Is that your heart? Is that your ambition? your hunger, your attraction, Jesus to come. How many of you would say, be willing to say with John the Revelator, even so come, Lord Jesus. Father, help us to realize the times in which we're living, the ramifications of praying, even so come, Lord Jesus. We must be prepared. We must be pure. We must be productive in light of that. Thank you, Lord.
As we have studied these passages today, we realize how close we are to the return of Jesus Christ at his second coming. But remember, seven years before the second coming, the rapture will happen when Jesus calls us to join him in the heavens. By the way, that rapture could happen at any moment. Can you pray that prayer that John the Apostle prayed so many years ago when he prayed, Even so come, Lord Jesus. Never in the history of this world has it been just like it is today. This should help us to realize how close we are to the rapture. I would encourage you to pray on a daily basis, even so come, Lord Jesus. Dr. Jimmy DeYoung and the Legacy Series. Well, we're going to have to take a break, and when we come back, Rick and I will take a look at the book as we wrap up all the events and tie them into Bible prophecy, right here on Prophecy Today Weekend. I'm Ruth Kramer with Mission Network News. In Pakistan, a Christian mechanic has been sentenced to death for blasphemy. A court in the city of Lahore handed down the ruling. It started when a local imam visited the motorbike repair shop. Nehemiah with FMI says once repairs were finished, the imam refused to pay. People from the local mosque beat the mechanic, claiming he blasphemed the Prophet Muhammad. It's a tactic commonly used against Pakistani Christians. Ask God to strengthen FMI partners in Lahore. And Wycliffe Associates has launched a campaign to provide clean water for villages in Africa, Asia, and South America. They've built 38 clean water systems so far, with more on the way. Bart Maley says many of the same people who don't have clean water also don't have the Bible translated into their heart language. As people gather at the new water systems, often pastors will read aloud from portions of Scripture. You can help make sure that they have the full Bible. We'll connect you at missionnews.org. Mission Network News is a service of One Way Ministries. I'm Ruth Kramer. Every believer needs to understand Bible prophecy. Whether you're a novice or a student, we are here to help you. Just visit prophecytoday.com and click on the link for the Prophecy Bookstore. There you will find a large selection of CD sets, DVDs, and books for the Bible prophecy student written by Dr. Jimmy DeYoung and other prominent scholars. While you're there, be sure to check out Dr. DeYoung's latest series called Presidents, Politics, and Prophecy. This series examines how God has used human leaders in general and specifically the last seven U.S. presidents to set the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. This was shot on location in Washington, D.C. and is available on DVD or as a 10-hour audio series on CD. Be sure to check back often for special deals. You can visit prophecytoday.com and click on Bookstore, or you can go directly to prophecybookstore.com. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung, Jr., and along with Rick, we've been examining current events in the light of God's prophetic word. You know, Rick, so many times we talk about world events, what's happening. How do we know to focus on what to focus on as we look at Bible prophecy? Well, it's understanding of the future events and what's laid out in God's word. When we talk about it, we talk about Daniel chapter 7, that little horn that comes out of the that terrible beast, that uh, pronunciation really in De- Daniel chapter 9 of a future world leader. It's also mentioned in Revelation chapter 13, Revelation chapter 18, that world economic center of the Antichrist and what he will use as his uh, center of economy. 
during the tribulation period. So understanding these things, Rick, really helps us to understand, and we and we glean this from our interviews with our broadcast partners as to how we are quickly approaching future events. Well, that's right, and the whole basis of our ministry is that the study of prophecy is profitable, and and I guess one thing we look at, God instituted human governments, and he puts leaders into place, and those leaders are there to fulfill his will. We look at all of Scripture from Genesis all the way to Revelation. It's a plan. God started with creation, and he's going to bring his plan to fruition at the end. And essentially, Jimmy, and uh, all throughout history, Satan has been trying to change this plan, has been trying to do things to influence this plan, to make it not go as God has planned. But uh, in the Old Testament, all the way through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and now as we look forward and we look at these events taking place around us, we see these things are foretold of in prophecy. We see this stage being set. That's why we study Bible prophecy, and, and, and so we know we have the assurance that God's plan is actually being put into place. Yes. You know, uh, you mentioned the foundation really is in the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 9, the institution of human government. And like you said, Satan has been trying to get man to really to go against God. And that's what happened. First commandment was to repopulate the earth after the flood. Nimrod, as we learned today from our legacy series, Nimrod, the great, great grandson of Noah, he established the first kingdom, and he immediately uh, went against God. Satan is going to try to disrupt God's program uh, for mankind. And we know the end is a, a restored relationship. Ultimately, that's the program that God has for all of mankind to have a restored relationship with them. Well, as we are watching these events take place, Rick, and uh, we talked about the events with Ken Timmerman looking at the events of our president of the United States, the decisions that they're making, uh, where we're heading. Uh, really, uh, sometimes as you watch this, you can't help but think the rapture can only be a moment away. Yeah, that's what I can't help but think. that That's why it's in there, and that's why God gave it to yeah. us. You know, we have that uh, ability to discern things, and we've talked about it. We talk about it every week, and we're not just news junkies, although we do like to—we do pride ourselves on giving you an accurate portrayal and description of what's going on in the world, but we look at some of the main players in the news stories that are coming about today, and we talked with Ken Timmerman, and we look at Russia, we look at Iran, we look at Turkey, those— uh, the ancient prophet Ezekiel foretold of those being the key players in future events. Yes. And that's, uh, again, that's why we focus. Uh, you know, I got a, an email from uh, one of our listeners and a good supporter of the ministry. In our uh, weekend program, we, I would, I, I mean, our daily Prophecy Today radio network, I put on uh, the Times of Israel podcast, which talks about news in Israel. And people really don't understand, didn't understand why we did that. And I wanted people to have a worldview, to understand. We focus on stories that are pertaining to future events. Everything. When David Dolan talked about the president being in Israel and the what the Israel government is doing and different things like that, Winky Madad went more in depth with that. And then, you know, R.C. Morrill, we bring him on. We don't just cover these stories just because, you know, they're happening. They do affect us. 
some of us don't realize how much they will affect us, but as we look back through history and we look forward, decisions that world leaders are making will affect us today and affect us tomorrow. Uh, we use that to help us to be prepared and understanding as we read through Bible prophecy, uh, to be able to pray for them and <laughs> as we were commanded to by Paul in First Timothy. I mean, when you look at Jeremiah, the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah wrote, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. When we look at Romans chapter 13, let every person be subject to the governing authorities for there is no authority except from God and those that exist have been instituted by God. So when we start looking at these passages and there are so many different passages pertaining to human government, it's there for us to encourage us to pray for these people, but God uses these leaders to move forward his timeline. By doing that, we're getting closer to the rapture and understanding that it gives us the urgency of the hour and why we should be doing what we're doing. And Rick, so this, these programs, these events that we cover in the light of God's prophetic word, it is helping us all to understand how much closer we get to that final event. Well, the next one would be the rapture. And then we have the seven year period of time, the tribulation period, uh, where the Antichrist comes on the scene, instituting his policies, his thought processes that we're seeing today, and then the second coming of Jesus Christ. So all of this is very important in our lives, isn't it? It sure is, and, and I love what you say. It's dual purpose. We look at it, just like you said, these things are going to take place during the tribulation, so it's pointing towards the rapture. It could happen at any moment, but that's future possibly the very near future, but it's future. <laughs> and we are ordered to pray for our leaders, to pray for our government. And I think that as Christians, we don't we don't need to forget that part. And you said earlier, what's the answer? The answer is to pray uh, for our government, to pray for our leaders. Whether we voted for them or not, we are mm. still to pray for them. So I, I love that exhortation for the here and now, not just for the future. Well, we're going to come back again next week, folks, uh, with our program as we examine current events in the light of God's prophetic word. We've, we're giving this to you so that you can glean from some of our answers from our broadcast partners, from input that Rick and I give you so that you can live your life being prepared being prepared means being ready for the rapture of the church and helping those around you also. And that is by telling others about Jesus Christ, what Christ did for us by going to the cross to die for us. And it's only by that that people can get to heaven. Well, thanks, Rick. I'll see you again next week. And as we are looking at current events, I can't help but say, let's keep looking up until... Thank you so much for joining us today. This is Jay Johnson inviting you to join us again next week for more of Prophecy Today. Mm -hmm.